Well, friends, given the events of this past week within the United Methodist Church, I'm thinking there's far too much to say this morning in the few minutes I have. But I'll provide a simple overview of what went down in St. Louis, but then I'll bring it home to Christ Church and even to this particular service. I mean, after all, we, we gather on Sundays to worship and to recall whom we are as a people of God, such as we are in all of our frailty and vulnerability. And probably like many of you, I am feeling vulnerable, angry, and embarrassed. As I wrote in my letter to the friends and members of Christ Church this week, I experienced the formal rejection of the full humanity of LGBTQ persons like a punch to the gut. I am deeply, deeply grieved by this development and so profoundly sorry for the harm this inflicts on our LGBTQ members and friends at Christ Church and around the Methodist connection the world over. The very first thing I want to say is that I, we, love you, honor you, and are so supremely grateful for your presence, your passion, and your powerful witness to the wideness of God's grace. The Apostle Paul wrote, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, nor neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the rock I stand upon with you, hand in hand, heart to heart. For those of you that are just catching up with the news, this past week, delegates of the United Methodist Church gathered in St. Louis to discern a way forward for our denomination, given the festering wound concerning the full inclusion of LGBTQ persons in our denomination. You may be aware that the United Methodist Church is the last so-called mainline denomination to confront this conflict. And from where I stand, it did not go well. The course of the debate only served to underscore the exclusionary status the slight majority assigned to LGBTQ persons, ultimately passing the so-called traditional plan that upholds prohibitions against homosexual persons while stiffening accountability measures for all of us. In other words, a great leap backwards spiritually, culturally, emotionally, prophetically. There are a few conference details that are worth knowing. The so-called traditional plan that was passed by a slim majority had already been deemed 
largely unconstitutional by the church's judicial council and has been remanded back to them for further analysis. This process will take several months. A couple of petitions pertaining to disillusion were also sent to the Judicial Council to determine their constitutionality. Nothing really passed there. This means there is no exit strategy for clergy, churches, and or conferences yet. There is no plan yet for those who may seek to restructure denominational commitments. And all of this means that there is no effective outcome to which we must formally respond at this time and most matters likely will not be resolved until the next general conference, which is in May 2020. That's the broad stroke picture. So to recap, a very, bad, a very bad and a very flawed plan was passed that may be deemed, probably will be deemed unconstitutional and therefore null and void. That will not undo the damage that's already been done, but would keep and would keep the current church discipline in place. We won't know about this development until likely May. But in the meantime, Christ Church, here at Christ Church, will simply continue on as we have been, living into the full gospel of grace with our arms spread as wide as possible. That's what we do here. You may know, over recent years, we have gladly promoted talented gay candidates from the congregation who are in various stages of ordination now, and we have hosted and I have officiated at same-sex weddings. I would tell you that several of these have been among the most moving nuptials I've ever witnessed, and honestly, in two of them at least, the partners were among the most fully prepared people for marriage I have ever dealt with. Part of their relational maturity, I would reveal, was forged on the anvil of exclusion. They have learned what it means to be in committed relationship with one another. They know the full dimensions of it. Around the world, there are about 12 million United Methodists, 7 million of them here in the United States, the remainder scattered around the globe with the largest and fastest growing contingent in Africa. As it turns out, interestingly, two-thirds of the American delegates voted for a plan that would have formally allowed recognition of openly gay clergy and same-sex marriage, while over 85% of the international delegates found common cause with the minority Americans to amass a slight majority in the final tally. So there are complicated nuances to this vote. For instance, just one thing, for instance, a large majority of African nations actually outlaw homosexuality outright. In some cases, punishable by death, or life imprisonment. One nation has enacted legislation that makes it illegal for heterosexual family members, allies, and friends of LGBTQ people to be supportive, 
leading to as much as 10 years in prison. I tell you that because that's the cultural container for the fast-growing Christian population on the continent. And as you likely know, other nations around the globe are also culturally phobic on matters of sexual identity. So, the so-called Methodist traditionalists in the United States found common cause with a majority of international delegates to push through a more restrictive theological perspective this past week, even though the majority in this nation voted for tolerant inclusion. Like I said, a very complicated denominational scenario. So those are some details, but, but let's now bring it back here to Christ Church in New York City, where we live and move and have our being. This is where we're working out our faith. This is where we work it out with fear and trembling, actually, in the words of Paul. We don't work it out in a disembodied, winner-take-all political conference. Honestly, friends, that is absolutely no way to run a church. It is broken. So be it. Here's the thing. While I am profoundly disappointed in what transpired over these last days, I remain quite hopeful about the future. Christ Church has a very clear self-identity, a compelling mission, a focused vision for the next years ahead, an excellent leader core, a wide embrace of the diverse people of the city, and a warm and heartfelt, and I tell you, biblically informed faith, open to the new thing God has in store. I am feeling this whole mess clarifies and strengthens our essential commitments. I know this may seem counterintuitive, but personally, personally, after Tuesday, I have never felt clearer about the nature of our work, what it means to love, and how Micah's admonition to seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God connects with mundane life, life day in and day out, life of faith. You know, confronted by this cl clarifying moment, my faith actually feels oddly revivified. We are not done with our project to love big. We're just beginning. We're not succumbing to a pinched backwards use of Scripture to exclude a specific class of people, the only one named in our discipline as unacceptable. As I read Scripture, that runs exactly opposite to what Jesus taught and lived. Opposite. Remember that over the decades and centuries, friends, the Bible has been used abusively to justify slavery and segregation and miscegenation laws, in addition to keeping women in their proper place. Out of the pulpit, or church leadership, or even the right to vote for God's sake, we humans are prone to reading our own prejudices into sacred scripture and then imbuing them with holy magnanimity. It is our tendency. I do it. 
Don't you do it? Don't you read your own prejudices into the scriptures? We need one another to hold one another accountable on these matters. And we do it to deadly effect sometimes. You know, on Transfiguration Sunday, we read that wild story that takes place on the mountain, bedazzling several followers of Jesus who heard the voice of God say to them, listen to him. Listen to him. Do you know what Jesus had to say about LGBTQ matters? What did Jesus have to say about this? Nothing. Zippo. Nada. That's what he had to say about that. What he did say was, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when he was asked, who is my neighbor, what did he do? He told them the story of, remember, the good Samaritan, the despised Samaritan. We could insert the good homosexual for our benefit today. And it was, after all, the good Samaritan who lived fully and truly into the admonition, the dictum, the law, to love your neighbor as oneself. It's worth rereading that story, that whole sequence in Luke 10. When was the last time you cracked your Bible? Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Go home today, find Luke 10, reread that story. And later, a few days before his crucifixion, Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for others. Friends, this is the warp and woof of Jesus' modeling. This is what sent him to the cross, because the world could not tolerate his breach of tribal boundaries of just who was acceptable in God's sight and who wasn't. I am standing with him. I'm standing with Jesus. I'm listening to him. I'm going the distance with him. And thank God I get to do this with you. That's at the heart of the call on this day. To stand hand in hand, heart to heart, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, 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 nothing. Friends, denominations will rise and fall, but the gospel will stand forever. No one can take a vote. I mean, think of this. No one can take a vote to determine the essential worth or place in the world of anyone. How ridiculous is that even? Just when I say it, you, you see how... 
What a tremendous human folly, folly it is. And yet we imbue it with this great importance. The only vote that matters is the one that was cast on a lonely cross. And there we discover we've already been deemed worthy to be called what? Children of God, heirs of creation, bound together by a sacred genetics. Every last one of us, child of God. Every last one of us, child of God. Look around the room. Everyone a child of God. Everyone included. Everyone included. Everyone included. Our essential work has always been this, to live into our actual identity. Child of God. And to see this truth in each other. Child of God. Everywhere I look, child of God. That's why I'm in this line of work, to help spread the word, to help uncover the truth, to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. What do you think, friends? Will you stand with me, with him? What do you think?